uh, looking forward to bringing this to the table tonight. I do hope and pray that it's a blessing to you. Oftentimes, when I'm working on a message, working on a sermon, I, I do think and wonder, I see, you know, who will, who will receive this in the manner that they should, and, and how will it be a blessing to them, how will it help them, how it helps me. And, uh, you know, as of yesterday, it was yesterday morning, I still had nothing um, in what I was going to preach tonight. And so there was quite a few thoughts that, are, that were pondering around in my head, bouncing around here and there. And the Lord has been gracious enough to give us this thought this evening to do again. I hope and pray that it's a blessing to you. So if you've got your Bibles tonight, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. 1 through 10 tonight. We'll have a word of prayer, then get into the message this evening. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, you can read from the screen if you would like. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and the last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. Father, I thank you for allowing us to have a building to meet in, Lord, a place to come and worship you in spirit and truth. And I just ask you tonight that you allow every word to be clear. I pray to your God that distractions would be minimal. I ask you, Lord, to help us search our own hearts as the message is preached tonight and let us look deep within and and, Father, be thankful and grateful, dear God, of that grace that has been bestowed upon us here today. Lord, I do love you, and I do thank you for all that you've done. And I ask of you now, dear God, to please continue to move in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen and amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, guys, is an amazing, amazing chapter. It really is. It's, it's something that is within... We find within it a, a, a litany of, of descriptions, doctrines, uh, applications, dispensational teaching. When you get into the latter part of the chapter, you'll find a, uh, <clears throat> you'll find the, the the time frame of the rapture of the church, uh, how it is going to occur. Whereas the Bible says that in the, the the twinkling of an eye, which is the amount of time that it takes for light to refract in the human eye, which according to physicists is known as a planet of time, which is 0.1 to the negative 45th power of a second. That that's how quick that happens. It is something that's going to be so quick, there's no preparation for it. It happens. It's done and dusted. Uh, those that are in the grave that are saved and born again shall rise new, unto newness of life. And those who are yet still here, this incorruption shall put on, uh, this corruption shall put on incorruption. So we find a, a strong doctrinal and dispensational teaching in the latter part of the chapter that, co that correlates with multiple other verses in the Word of God. And that's one of the things, that's why 1 Corinthians 15 is so powerful, because of what it has 
has within just his teaching and his words. But the entire chapter starts out with, with a, a uniform teaching, if you will, and we find the definition of what the gospel is, okay, where, where Paul declares to us about this gospel. He, he says here, he said that, I declared it. No, so Paul makes it very clear what the gospel is and what he preaches, okay? He says about this gospel, by which ye also are saved. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He says that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And again, he, he formulates that and he gives the official statement saying according to the scripture. So just in, within these few verses, we know what the gospel is. So when you ask, well, preacher, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what the gospel is. Now, some are in their heart and their mind saying, hang on, wait a second here. I thought the gospel was uh, meant good news or meant glad tidings. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But we also see the root. We see the foundational teaching in this, these in the scripture here where it says according to the scriptures. Well, what scriptures are it talking about? There was no New Testament written when Paul was preaching to the city of Corinth when he was establishing churches there throughout uh, the rest of the world. There was no, all the, when he says the scriptures that he preached, he was strictly preaching from the Old Testament. He was taking Old Testament scriptures and showing what was required for salvation. It was the death and the burial, the resurrection of the Son of God. Now again, there's an absolute wealth of information as well as blessings that we find uh, really and truly within these first four verses. Inside the chapter in the verses that we just read here in 1 Corinthians 15, we see a list of who have seen Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Uh, Paul says, Cephas, then of the twelve. Then he says, seen a, of above 500 brethren at once. And then he says he was seen of James and then all the apostles. But then he comes in and he says, he says, and last of all, he was seen of me. Speaking of himself, the apostle Paul. Guys, this particular, we find this particular chapter, but I believe, remarkable. There's a remarkable truth there concerning Jesus Christ in the past and the present and the future. But Paul testifies, and last of all, he was seen of me also. The last living individual to see Jesus Christ while was on this earth was the Apostle Paul, who was also known as Saul. Saul of Tarsus is the Apostle Paul. Now you say, what about John? John was the last person to see Jesus Christ, but John was caught up in the Spirit, Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 1. And from that viewpoint, he receives the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he is looking back to the church age in the middle of the, tri or the end of the tribulation period, and then the, uh, the king, the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Then, of course, we know eternity. That's not the, the meaning of tonight's message, and we could get into that later on. But... Paul's testimony was not about seeing accolades of himself. This is the beauty of this, this chapter, the beauty of these verses that we've seen. There, there's no exaltation of himself and who he was. As a matter of fact, he refers to himself as the least of all the apostles. And, and you've got to ask yourself tonight, and if you don't know much about Paul's life, um, you know, uh, th this is going to come to quite a bit of a shock. Those of you who, who do, you understand probably where I'm going. Why did he? Why did Paul say I'm the least of the apostles? Why did he say that I'm? I'm hey, listen, Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, right? There's, so why in the world would Paul say I'm the least of all the apostles? Well, he gives us the answer in the verses we've read because he persecuted the church. He persecuted the church of God. Prior to Paul's salvation, when when he was a, a yet the the Pharisee, the head of the Cilician uh, the Cilician, um 
synagogue, and uh, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the people of God. He committed heinous acts, guys, against those who were gloriously saved, and, and we'll get into that just here in a moment. We'll get into it just briefly, but we'll touch on it a little bit more in just a second. But despite Paul's attacks on the church, we also find another statement that I believe is mostly the, the most profound statement that you're going to look at tonight, where he says, but... By the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He doesn't say it's my degrees. He doesn't say all that I've done. He doesn't list his good works. He doesn't list anything. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. He's saying, I don't deserve to be an apostle. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be, I don't deserve anything that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. Yet by the grace of God, I am. What I am is what he says. And beloved, this is the point that I want to speak on to you tonight. I want to speak to you but by the grace of God. But by the grace of God in this thought here this evening. So I want a quick review tonight as we would just uh, we would move on uh, into the scriptures. And, and we've already talked about this just for a second. So just a quick review of what we have said this evening. If someone was to ask you, what is the gospel? What would be your answer? Well, we, we spoke about that. Again, we've already talked about the gospel being the good news. It's glad tidings. We understand that part. We know that the gospel is good news, but we've got to ask ourselves, what is it the good news about? What is it the good news about? Well, it's the good news about the definition and description of the gospel found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came, that he died, that he was buried in the grave according to the scriptures, and that he rose again the third day. Again, according to the scriptures. That's the good news that we find being the gospel tonight. And that is what saves a soul. You see? You know, we understand that the word gospel being good news, it doesn't describe the gospel, but it is what the word means. But it is good news about what? It's the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, found in verses 3 and 4 of our text tonight, that it all happened according to the Scriptures. It is the, the validity of the Holy Scriptures, if you will. In other words, it occurred just as it was written aforetime. There is no other there is no other work, no other word, no other book, no other letter, no other anything in this world today that was written across forty different uh, lands and written across all different times period that line up so perfectly together. As a matter of fact, there are sixty five thousand cross references from Genesis to Revelation that come and they meet are connected perfectly within this word of God. The simple fact, guys, that we are forgiven tonight of all sin to me, is amazing altogether. You know, when one thinks of what sin is, what would you define sin? Do you know where, you know where we get into trouble when we ask that question? We start thinking about someone else. We think about our neighbor, our friend, our enemy. And we say this, we say, yeah, you know what? I understand I've done some things wrong, but I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that gal. Hey, I'm not, I'm not a Hitler, I'm not a Saddam Hussein, I'm, a, I'm not a Stalin, I'm not, I'm not like them. It doesn't matter if you're like them. You're not judged according to their measure. You're judged according to the measure of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect and sinless. You see, what is sin? It's defined clearly in 1 John. It is the transgression of God's law. That's all it is, man. That's all it is, the transgression. What is the transgression? It is to cross over. If there's a line right here, and it says, do not cross, and you transgress or traverse, if you will, you traverse unto that, over that line, you've gone over it. You've broken that. 
You say, well, I, how do I know? What do I know? How do I know if I've, I've broken God's law? Well, have you ever told a lie before? Well, yes, you have. And if you say you haven't, you just told once, so there you go, you got it. My Bible says, thou shalt lie. The, you know, did you know the Ten Commandments was never meant to save anyone? We have people today say, well, if I just follow the Ten Commandments, I'm going to get to heaven. No, you're not. Number one, you can't. The Ten Commandments was not meant to save you. It was to sentence you. It was to reveal in you that our sin, our transgression upon the, the, the law of God was not just sin, but as Paul says in Romans 7, exceeding sinful. He said, I knew not sin, lest by the law. So have you ever told a lie? Yes, you have. There's one right there. All right. You ever committed adultery? No, preacher, never done that. Well, the Bible tells me if you look on a woman to lust after her, if you committed adultery in your heart already, there's another one right there. Have you, you love your mother, you honor your mother and father? Have you ever had bad thoughts? You ever disobeyed your mom and dad? I mean, we can go through the line. Honor the Sabbath. What about that? I mean, all these things. We've broken them. We've transgressed God's law, therefore we are a sinner. But all of that sin can be forgiven tonight. Or it's been forgiven before if you're saved here this evening. All of those sins, guys, pay attention to this point. They are utterly erased. In the Old Testament, our, the sins of, uh, of the Jews were covered by uh, multiple sacrifices over and over and over. In the New Testament, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, with that gospel, they are cleansed. They are for remembered no more. They are separated as far as the east is from the west. You know what happens if you keep traveling north? Eventually you come back around south, don't you? But when you go east and west, you go east and west. It's continual. That east and west is, is separated by a man on the cross. He didn't have his hands pointed north and south. He had his hands pointed east and west. I'm here to tell you tonight, guys, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And according to the scriptures, he was, he was killed, or he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that is the gospel. That is the good news tonight that saves and cleanses us, that he removes it. He, he casts off our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness. He remembers them no more. When God the Father looks at you through the blood of his precious and wonderful Son, it's as if you have never committed a transgression in your life because he has cleansed those sins from you. That is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend. This is the gospel, the good news by where we are saved. This is the good news by wherein we stand. And it is a simple fact tonight, when I come back to what I just said, that we can be forgiven of all sin. To me, that is amazing altogether. Utterly erased. The events leading up to the enabling gift of salvation through what he dealt with, what he experienced, the fact that he took off the robes of glory in eternity and stepped on and put on the robes of flesh for 33 and one-half years to live a life as a man on this earth, to die a, a merciless death, to be risen again according to the Scriptures, all because of a creation of his that he loved so much. That's what he did. Oh, my soul, guys, again... We find the records of, of events of Christ after the resurrection in our text tonight in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 8. And this is the requirement of an apostle, to seeing the resurrected Savior with their own eyes. There's no apostles today. The last apostle to live was John, who died sometime toward the end of the first century, maybe the first decade of the second century. But the last individual to become an apostle was one in his own words, born out of due season, Paul, the man that, used, that God used to pen 14 inspired letters or books of the Bible. And we read that in verse 8 of our text tonight. But one would have to think tonight. Why in the world? I mean, if you are 
someone was born out of due season, if you or someone who was chosen as, as this man would be become chosen to be the minister unto the Gentiles, hey guys, listen, we were all Gentiles, and, and you know we are saved tonight, born again of the blood of Christ, because the Apostle Paul was saved on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, because he received that revelation in, 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 uh, in Arabia, according to Galatians chapter 1. He went back into Damascus for three years and preached the gospel, went up to Jerusalem uh, with Peter for 15 days, then went down to Tarsus and suffered, learned how to suffer loss for 10 years, and then after 13 years of being saved, comes to Antioch, Syria, the first Gentile church, and he preaches there with Barnabas for, for, for an entire year of the ways of Christ. It was there where they were first called Christians. First 14 years of Paul's Christianity, he he hasn't even set foot into the mission field that God has directed him into, but God was preparing him, one born out of due season. Stop and you think about that here tonight. Because of someone like that, the gospel would go to the uttermost parts of the world, and for nearly two millennia today, millions upon millions upon millions have been saved and born again because of the mighty work of this man, the Apostle Paul, that God would choose out of due season and send him forward. But I ask you this tonight. Was Paul, do you think he was chosen because of his goodness, his kindness, his greatness, his perfection? Couldn't be further from the truth. Could not be further from the truth. We'll revisit verse 9, if you will, if you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meant to be called an apostle because, he said, I persecuted the church. I persecuted the church. Paul had committed persecution against the church of God. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And Saul, the same person, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, the Bible says. In Acts chapter 26 and uh, uh, verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He says, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them. He said, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. There's your man of God. There's your man that was born out of due season. There's your minister unto the Gentiles. There's your man who, is, who, is, who as a result of his ministry, who lost his head. He was beheaded in A.D. 68 on the road to Ostia in Rome. There's your man right there. That's what his past looks like. Paul said, hey, I'm the least of the apostles. I mean, Paul had the education. Paul had the zeal, he had the charisma, but he also had the criminal record. Now, he didn't have a criminal record down here. I mean, he was, he was borderline worshipped by those Pharisees. I mean, Paul was the man. You ever meet somebody who's just got the right stuff? They're just good. They're just, man, they, they are the man. That was Paul. Paul was the man. He could do it, man. Multiple languages. He could argue people's religion and defeat them. Matter of fact, he could turn the tables and argue their own religion and still beat them, if you will. That's, that's, that's who Paul was. But Paul had a criminal record in heaven because he persecuted the church. I may want you to play around with me just a little bit here. Imagine sitting in the job interview with, with, with Paul. Here comes Saul who's breathing out threats and slaughter against the... You know what? This side, no, this will be free tonight. I'll give you this. We'll get back to the interview in just a second. So Paul's going to Damascus, and he's got the letters from the chief priest. He has got and what those letters mean, that he has the authority that anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ by any means necessary to haul them back to Jerusalem to be convicted for being a Christian. That's what those letters meant. 
even under strange cities, he said. Paul's on the road to Damascus, him and two other fellows, and they're going down the road. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this great, you know, this great light flashed before him. And this voice was heard. Paul, Saul only hears the voice. The other two guys heard a sound of thunder. And, uh, and he says, uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, uh, who, uh, who art thou, Lord? He says, I am the Lord Jesus Christ whom thou persecutest. But just before that, just before Paul asked who it is, you know what Jesus says to him? He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Hard for you to kick against the prick. Do you know what that's a relation to? In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. If that prick that it says there in Acts 9, when the Lord says, hard for you to kick against the prick, that's where ox goat is what that's known as. An ox goat is a long wooden stick with a blade or a stone on the end. And when they would get the oxen to pull things, either it be a wagon or a load of, of equipment or whatever it may be, they'd take that ox goad and they'd stick the ox. And you know, you could stand right behind the ox and you could poke him with that goad all day long and he would try his dead level best to kick you and he couldn't. You know why? Because they had kicked to the side. Now you stand to the side of one, you're going to get hurt and they'll kick the daylights out of you. What Lord Jesus Christ is saying to Paul that day, he says, you're behaving like an animal. You're acting like a beast, a brute beast that is meant only to go and be destroyed. You are mad. You are crazy. You are, you are, you're just bloodthirsty, if you will, for those because you're so zealous for your religion. And you're persecuting me, he says. Paul says, who art thou, Lord? He says, I am Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, what would thou have me to do? Paul's converted right then and there. Let's go back to the interview. Imagine sitting across a table with Saul of Tarsus with me today. I mean, you begin to look at his at his uh, his resume, page one. You look at his education exemplarily. I mean, this guy was the valedictorian of the school of Gamaliel. He was the man. You, you look at page two. Here's his experience. Extraordinary. He is uh, he's already at a young age. He's the the leader, the head of the Cilician synagogue. It's him. When Stephen was killed, uh, when Stephen was murdered, when he was stoned to death, they looked at Saul. They didn't look at anybody else inside that hall that day within that Sanhedrin. They looked over to this young man to give a thumbs up, thumbs down. And Paul, they were consenting unto his death. He he gave thumbs down, and they stoned Stephen, who had a face as an angel. The Bible says. They look at page three. You see his heritage. All his heritage is elite. He's a son of a Pharisee. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he is cut from the greatest cloth of all of the Israelites. But then we turn to page four. Now we see his crimes. Adrigius. I mean, horrible, heinous acts of crimes that he committed. If you were to sit there and go through the list of what Paul had committed, it would be you would be without words, difficulty to explain and accept his past, his behavior, uh, his apparent hatred for one religion. And yet in all the misery, murder, and mayhem, there's one single word tonight. One single word that always changes the other side of the street, and that's the word but. I love it. I love that. Acts 13.30 says, but, the, but, uh, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 6, the Bible tells us, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. And then there's Ephesians 2.4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. 
one single determining act the Lord bestows upon us, which is free for the taking. It was what Paul experienced. It's what I have experienced. It's what billions throughout the world since A.D. 30 have experienced. And it's one single word that comes after the thought of the word but, and it is the word grace. Grace. Grace is really defined as unmerited favor with God. You did nothing to earn favor with God. You haven't done a work good enough to earn favor with God. He loves you. His grace is bestowed upon you because of the greatness of himself in that alone. So this is the background of the man who became the greatest church planning missionary and preacher that this world has ever seen. And yet in his early years prior to salvation, he committed some of the, the most vile crimes known to man. And, and why would the Lord, why would the Lord allow, much less choose him, to be the one to take the gospel into the world? It's in Paul's words. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's by the grace of God, Paul is saying this, that despite what he had committed, he became an ambassador. Despite who Paul was, he became an asset. Despite where Paul had been, he became an answer to all who would follow in the world. And it's all because of the grace of God. All because of the grace of God. So three things tonight and we'll be done this evening. I want you to notice with me first and foremost, I want you to notice what about grace, that it is number one, it is a gift. In verse 10 there, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. That word vain means empty or void, guys. It means uh, that it's, you know, without purpose, if you will. Um, but that word bestowed means to confer or present. Guys, you know what it is? It's a simple gift. That's what it is. It's a gift. And, and a gift, my friend, is, is, is a, a gift. We read a verse just a moment ago, Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth. That word commendeth means to offer. God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That verse ties together with Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin, okay, the, your payment that you receive, just like a paycheck, your payment for sin, transgressing to God's law, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It, grace is a gift that God and God only has bestowed upon mankind. And it's free for the taking tonight. I mean, we're talking about something that it, it's not a good deal. Two for one at Morrison's, that's a good deal. Grace is a gift. And it's completely 100% free this evening. Secondly, we find what grace does. Grace gives to you. Paul goes on to say that he labored more abundantly than they all. And yes, he did. He labored more. He also suffered more than them all. But how did he do this? How, did, how was Paul, how did he have the ability, the strength, the know-how, the fortitude to labor the manner that he did? He was enabled by this gift of grace from God. This grace that was given to Paul gave him that ability. It gave him the drive. It gave him the passion uh, to, to labor in leaps and bounds above all of those that were around him, guys. You say, how in the world did it do that? Again, we go back to the interview. He had all the pedigree until you get to page four. When you look at the litany of crimes that he committed, you look at what he had done. You look at how he, God said himself, you're behaving like an animal, man. Uh, you know, that's what he did. When, God, when Paul realized that, again, according to Romans 7, I have not known sin, lest the law showed me. And that sin became exceeding sinful. When that realization hit Paul, and yet God still loved him, still saved him, Man, you know what it did? It drove him. If you'll get a hold of grace tonight, and guys, if you're measuring yourself according to what Paul had done, you say, well, yeah, I never killed anybody in the church. I never did this. I never did that. 
I'll ask you this, another New Testament principle. Have you ever hated anyone? That answer is yes. And the Bible tells me if anyone who hates his brother is a murderer already. Just giving you scripture tonight, guys. Grace gives you, grace gives you the ability and the power when you look at it in an undeserving manner, when you realize that it is unmerited favor with God, when you understand that we do not deserve that, that God's grace was bestowed upon us, it will drive you with such passion, guys, like nothing else in your life will drive you. It's a gift, guys. It gives. Paul takes no credit for the glory. So let's come full circle and be done tonight. It all comes back to God's grace. Comes back to his grace. Still there in verse 10. Yet watch what he says. On the back side of him saying that I labor more, more abundantly than they all. He says, yet not I. He takes no credit. He takes no glory. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It was this grace given which made Paul who he was. It was this, it was in his labors, more than those that are around him, this same gift, this same gift which gives us grace working in and through him and for us today, for us to continue to drive forward. It's this grace, this unmerited favor with God tonight that is bestowed upon mankind. And again, I say this here this evening, just moments before we close, it's free for the taking. The same grace that was grace that was passed down to us. We use a little anacronym with um, we did it with the kids, but it applies to the adults as well. But grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid it all. He paid the whole thing. All, you know, he, he paid lock, stock, and barrel. The Lord Jesus Christ paid it all for us. Why did He pay it all for us? Because He loves us. Why does He love us? That I don't know. Actually, I answered that question this morning, didn't I? I answered that in a message this morning. A totally different message on the purpose of God. You know, why are we so special? We're not. We're special because of God's purpose. Jesus Christ's purpose coming to this earth was to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why we have the grace given to us this evening. That's why you and I have second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. And that's why tonight, I'm just bringing a simple thought tonight to hopefully tap into your heart's cords to understand the goodness of God's grace in our life today, how it is unmerited favor with God, how it bestows upon us eternal life when this world is gone, how it will give you a peace in this world which passeth all understanding. I mentioned this this morning, and I, I know I, I need, I'm going to be finished here, but I mentioned this today. Uh, Denise and I were walking over to the, the morning church, and uh, I've had this thought being around my head the past couple of days about peace. What peace is really like. Now this world is seeking for peace. There's people in this world who don't want peace. Now I understand that. But the average person today just wants some type of comfort. They want some type of peace. They want peace away from heartache and darkness and depression and the things that, that, that come about in this world today. And the Bible tells me that there's a peace that God gives us that passeth all understanding. The Bible says that the Lord come to give life and life more abundantly. You understand? The Bible tells us, Psalm 23, that he leadeth me by the, the still waters. He's not leading you through chaos. If your life is in the midst of chaos, God ain't doing that, do you understand? But I'm saying this to you tonight. That there's a peace that comes along with salvation. There's a peace that comes with this grace that God has bestowed in our life. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, even if as a Christian, 
I know we're appointed unto storms. I know we're appointed unto tribulations. I know we're appointed unto to trouble. I understand that, but they are not a constant thing. Because if we have the great shepherd leading us by the still waters, if we have the grace that is bestowed upon us, if we have this peace that passeth all understanding, moments in our life, and it could be long, they could be short, moments in our life should not be chaotic, but comfortable. They should be something that, that you have different than those in the world who have not Jesus Christ. If your life is filled with chaos, there's a problem there. If you're a child of God and you're born again and you're just finding nothing but troubles in, in, in the world that we're living in today and in your life, it may be because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus Christ and you got your eyes on watching. We talked about that with Peter last week. But tonight, if you're here and you know not Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you're listening online somewhere and you know not Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can have that peace. It's quite simple and it's quite easy and it is free tonight. It comes with the grace, the unmerited favor with God that only comes by faith upon his gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is no work you'll do to get to heaven. Jesus Christ has already done it all tonight. If you'll just accept that grace that he is offering to you right here and right now. Will you bow your heads this evening? Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for who and what you are. And we pray tonight that you'd please just take your message. Write it upon the table of each and every one of our hearts, dear Lord. Help it, Father, render in our life uh, the exact thing that you desire to give us, Father. We, uh, we want to thank you publicly. I want to thank you publicly for saving my soul when I was undeserving. As a 19-year-old boy dear, uh, heading down the wrong road, I want to thank you now for saving my soul, dear God, in the way that you had, and the, the many years of mercy and grace that you had upon me as I stumbled my way through Christianity, Father. I ask you this evening, dear God, bestow that grace upon the souls that are looking for that peace tonight. Father, have them come into your heart, dear Lord. Have them ask in forgiveness of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trusting in that death, burial, and resurrection unto eternal life. I do love you, Jesus Christ. I love every soul that's here tonight. I pray that you bless them all. Give us safe travel and mercies as we depart one another here shortly. And Lord, I do want to thank you, dear God. I thank you for all you've done for us this evening. Be with us as we go to our closing song this evening, dear Lord. And let us not soon forget that which we've heard this evening. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, I do hope and pray that was a blessing to your heart tonight. Guys, if there's any questions whatsoever about anything that I've said tonight, last week, or any other time, uh, again, my life, my door, it's an open door. You can come to me, and uh, we'll, we'll get things sorted out and help you out any way that I can. Let's